Welcome to Talking Tourism, the podcast series created specifically for tourism operators. Talking Tourism, the expert series, is the ultimate resource for business owners who want to lift their skills to the next level. If you want to learn how to be a better tourism operator, listen on. And welcome to Talking Tourism, the podcast series especially for tourism operators and industry professionals. I'm today's host, Sam Denmead, and I'll be talking to our special guest for today, Greg Price. Hi, Greg. Hi. (laughs) Um, If you're a regular listener, thank you and welcome back. If you're a first-time listener, it's lovely to have you on board. We hope you enjoy it. And remember, there's loads of episodes available on the TICT website, so you can go on here previous episodes and stay around because there's always more coming. So we're going to get straight into today's conversation with Greg Price, who is the Managing Director of Jump Tours. So Greg, I'm going to share a bit of information with our listeners about you. So in the stuff of Tasmanian tourism legend, Greg Price famously chucked in a very promising and lucrative career in merchant banking in Sydney. Do you love hearing those words? Yeah, well, I like the tourism legend part. Is that, <laughs> you know, I didn't think so, but Luke, Luke wrote it, so we'll go with that. <laughs> does it feel like <laughs> a, a lifetime ago that that was the case, being a merchant banker in Sydney? It does, yeah. It's quite a long time now. So, yeah, it's another lifetime, really. So you left Sydney, returned to Tasmania with your one van, driving it from Sydney to Melbourne? That's right, yes. Drove down the coast, put it on the Spirit and was just going to do one trip around with a few people who wanted to see Tasmania and then never went back again. And an idea evolved. That's right, yeah. And so obviously the feedback from the people you took around the state gave you some inspiration? Absolutely. It was really good, actually. We were camping on the Henty Dunes at Strawn and we did all kinds of random stuff. Some things made it onto the tour, some didn't. And yeah, just bounce the ideas off them along the way. So this one trip has inspired a, a business that's grown over the years. And at uh, and after all that time, you've managed to win some awards for the business, multiple awards for yourself. You won the Tasmanian Tourism Minister's Young Achiever of the Year. Uh, welcome to the club, actually, on that one. Yes, yeah, you're a past winner <laughs> as well, I believe. Yeah. Tasmanian Entrepreneur of the Year in 2012. Mm. Telstra Tasmanian Micro Business of the Year in 2013. It goes on. Yeah. Award-winning and many, many awards in the backpacker scene as well. That's right, yeah. Um, there was the Golden Backpack Awards and then it became uh, Venture Tourism Awards at one point and... Those ones were particularly pleasing because they're consumer voted. So, yeah, you had to convince your guests to vote for you and got to do something right to get them to do that. So, yeah. So tell us about the decision to enter the backpacker market. Like what was it, what did you think you were going to be able to do? There was already backpacker operators in Tasmania. What was it that you thought you could bring to the market that wasn't there? I got the idea. I went travelling myself in Europe. 2005, I went travelling, backpacking for like five months. And it was kind of the density of, I was trying to come up with a term for this yesterday, but it's the density of attractions in Tasmania is really good. Like you go to some place where, you know, you go to Paris and there's the Eiffel Tower, but you come to Tasmania, you've got Cradle Mountain, and then you've got the Bay of Fires and you've got, say, Melaleuca and things like that. And they're all amazing but completely different. And so with our tour, the difference was um, we did it self-catering. So people did their own food. 
which was not something that anyone else was doing at the time. It was kind of about making it affordable for people who wanted to see Tassie but a lot of their other options were out of reach to them. And so, yeah, we had this self-catering thing that came along and people ended up teaming up having big barbecues and, you know, sometimes barbecues, sometimes be two-minute noodles, but um, either way people could do their own thing. And later on it actually became a really good selling point in terms of dietary needs. So, you know, whether they're gluten-free or they need halal food or kosher or whatever, um, it just made it really easy for people. So that was the big point of difference in the early days. And so since that, those early days where you started, uh, what's happened with Jump Tours over the years? Uh, yeah, grown a lot. Um, I sort of approach it from a consumer sort of mindset, I suppose. So one of the things that always annoyed me was the fact that people could cancel stuff at the last minute. So we made all of our departures guaranteed, I think it was October 2013. And so, yeah, I, I said, if you're going on holiday, you don't want the stuff you deal with at work. You don't want to have to think about whether stuff's going to happen or is it going to be stressful? Like, let's just cut that out. And so what we were doing was running fewer departures but making them guaranteed and so that way people just book it. And even from a business perspective, like, it just stops so many inquiries where people like, is this one going to go ahead? Are you sure that this will happen? And you just go, yep, it's all done. It's all good. We're going. (laughs) Yeah, being a tour operator is a pretty uh, tough ask at the moment. Mm. So tell us um, from now recent times how hard it has been in Tasmania being a tour operator. Yeah, it's um, been pretty crazy because especially for us, our customer base was 95% international. What's happened is we actually still get international travellers, but they're ones who are living in Australia now. So even, say, in April we had a group that was all physiotherapists and one was from Ireland, one was from Mexico, one was from China. Yeah, we just we seem to still appeal to those international travellers, but um, obviously longer-term ones. The other thing we've done this year is we've got um, camper vans now, so... Uh, we look after 24 camper vans and that's much more domestically focused. So that's kind of kept our head above water. We've got a reason to keep our depot and we've got work for our staff and things like that. So it's just that overused word pivot. Um, <laughs> we had to pivot. We've done a few pivots actually. We, we were going into mountain biking as well. Came up with a tour called Down and Derby. So that's one side of it and then the campers is another side. So... Yeah. So earlier you reminded me of something that Peter Gutwin, the Premier of Tasmania, said last year. The words were, there may be some that suffer some difficulties as a result, and he was referring to lockdowns. Yeah. So tell us what sort of difficulties have you been through? I specifically remember that week in March 2020 and I was talking to my general manager and um, we thought we'd be able to keep going till April. Um, So we thought we're going to keep running till April and then we actually had people leaving tours halfway through because they were scared about not being able to get home. It basically just came to a massive screaming halt at that point. So I guess one of the biggest difficulties, like I think everyone worked out how much money do you need to just keep the business like in an idle state. So I worked out that and we had JobKeeper and stuff so that helped a, a lot. 
at that stage there was kind of no end in sight, like we didn't know how it was going to end. So at least this year it's pretty much going to end with vaccination. Yeah, I guess for us biggest biggest challenge is um, holding on to our people really because I think not just for us but the whole tourism industry, the big challenge is we're going to be seen as an unstable, you know, risky sort of industry to work in. And how do we overcome that in coming times? Because the worst thing would be if everything opens up and we don't have any people left to, to you know, service the travellers. So I went to Hamilton Island in February and there were all these, there was a huge number of people, it was super busy, and there were still venues closed because they just didn't have enough staff. And you'd go to the bakery in the morning and then you go to the pub in the night and the same girls serving you at both of them. <laughs> yeah, so I think the staffing thing is going to be the biggest challenge for our industry going forward. How do we retain people? How do we retain that knowledge in the industry? Yeah. So this is, this is a, a relatively new issue we're dealing with with staffing being a, being a problem, particularly because we've relied on a lot of international visa holders to fulfil mm. a lot of roles. Yeah. So without those internationals, you're already thinking there's going to be a problem? Yeah, well, that's a funny thing because a lot of people talk about training and stuff like that, but I think the figure I saw was 150,000 working holiday visas, visa holders in Australia at any one time and now there's 40,000, so we've lost 100,000 workers. And for us it's double whammy because they're our customers as well, like most of our customers have a working holiday visa. And, yeah, so I think... When that comes back, there's going to be a bit of a lag between opening up and having the staff trained up, ready to go kind of thing. So from your point of view, what do you think is the issue with attracting staff or attracting new people to the industry to want to train up in the tourism industry? Uh, I think it's uncertainty is the biggest issue. So um, there's actually a fair bit, I've seen a fair bit of interchanging, you know, staff between construction and and tourism and construction is going nuts. Our challenge is, you know, how do we go, these guys working five days a week, you know, week in, week out, how do we go to we can give you solid five-day-a-week work when we don't know what's happening with our customers and all that kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah, I'm not sure what the answer is, but I guess we've just got to promote the industry as you know, something that's going to be fun and, you know, at the end of the day you could be carrying around lumps of wood or you could be interacting with all these people having the time of their lives. So which one would you rather do kind of thing? Yeah, absolutely. Tell us about the changes you've made over the last 18 months to keep Jump Tours alive and afloat. What have you been working on aside from the other tours that you, you started? Just like a lot of relationship building with our trade partners. Just trying to keep those relationships alive is a really big one. And I guess trying to work out what the post-pandemic sort of landscape looks like because we're seeing a lot of the bricks and mortar sort of resellers are gone and OTAs, I think, are going to be a really big thing. Um going forward. Some of the smaller bricks and mortar ones have pivoted to that OTA sort of space. But yeah, I guess the challenge is just, you know, you can hibernate things, but there's different levels that you can hibernate it at. Like, you know, 
we could sell all our buses and we still have our permits and things, but then we have to buy buses or we can keep the buses and they just sit in a paddock and the battery goes flat. What we've tried to do is keep the relationships alive and make those changes that we've thought about for years but haven't had the chance to do. A lot of things you can't do unless everything stops. So now's the time to do that kind of stuff, alter itineraries, paint the accommodation, all this kind of stuff. So I guess it's just a matter of keeping busy and keeping, it's almost like fitness, you know, it's like staying match fit for your for your customers. How do you do that when you don't have any sort of thing? So just focus on keeping things strong, keeping the relationships happening and have everything primed and ready to go for when things open up again. And in terms of um, in the future, given the COVID, you know, people are scared to travel or they're nervous about the uncertainty of border opening and closing. What do you think the future traveller looks like? Are they, is it, is it different? The, the customer you've got, you know, prior to COVID, are they different now? Yeah, I think, I think the future traveller will be, they'll be putting a premium on safety, especially. So I think Australia and particularly Tasmania is in the box seat with that because we've done such a good job. Um, suppressing COVID. It's also going to be a bit more individual, I think. Like we see it when we have campers and tours, like tours are a group thing, campers, you know, that's a more individual or couple kind of thing. So maybe we're going to see smaller groups and more sort of bespoke kind of itineraries, I guess. The other thing, I think it'll actually be um, for Tasmania, be more international because all this domestic tourism, that pent-up demand that was there before is going to be sort of met over this last 18 months, maybe the next 12 months as well. So all those people are going to be going overseas. So our big opportunity is the overseas people coming here. So I think Tassie will actually become more of an international destination than it has been going forward. So challenge obviously is, you know, do people have, you know, menus in other languages? Do you have multilingual staff or all that kind of stuff? So I think that's probably both an opportunity and a threat to those who don't prepare properly. So, yeah. So in your uh, opinion, what do you think, uh, how long do you think it's going to be before we return to any sort of pre-COVID numbers and people moving around? I think probably it'll probably be the end of next year for us because our peak season's summer. You know, say we get to 70 or 80% vaccination towards the end of the year and say we open up internationally, it's going to take a while for the word to get out because you know how it is when there's some natural disaster, they have a bushfire, they put the bushfire out. After it's out is when people ring you up and go, hey, is whole of Tasmania on fire? No. And so then you... Yeah, you're sort of dealing with that lag in timing. So I think there's going to be a lag between us opening up and people knowing that we're open up. So I feel like it's probably going to be, yeah, summer at the end of 2022. I think that's what people have to plan around in terms of, well, at least for international. Yeah, so I guess people have got to consider whether they can hang on that long and government's got to think about how we're going to support the industry to keep, going so that there's actually businesses ready to open when those travellers come back. 
And while it's a bonus that the government are very supportive of the industry, we can't rely on them to prop us up the whole time. So do you have any suggestions for what an individual tour operator or any tourism operator in Tasmania could be doing between now and then to offset that gap before it all returns? One of the things that I came back to in terms of um, ways to improve things is just collaboration. So I think people need to work together. I had um, one point where I said, your challenge is to make money off every booking. And the way that we do that is we work with other tour operators. So, you know, if we have one person booked on a tour, we can book them on another tour and then we get commission from that operator for that. So I think Tasmania is pretty good in so far that um, it is a small industry. People know each other and we've just got to be less sort of combative and more collaborative and work together to handball that stuff. Even when you think about small towns, you know, we don't want everyone closing on Monday, for example. Like, you know, you go to some town and none of the cafes are open on a particular day. Maybe they just need to talk and go, okay, we're going to close on Monday, but you guys open and then we'll close on another day and you know, that kind of stuff because what we don't want is people coming back and they'll go to Strawn or St Helens or whatever and go, yeah, I went to Tasmania and nothing was open and then they go back and tell everyone and then they're like, oh, okay, well, maybe we won't go to Tasmania. So that's our, our big challenge, I think, going forward. So, Greg, you operate in the, the youth and the backpacker space what you've been talking about so far doesn't seem to be restricted to that space. It sounds like that's the sort of thing that's happening across the board. Are there any differences between the backpacker youth space and mainstream or high-end tourism, do you think? I think they're more resilient. Uh, so I think they're the, probably going to be the people who come back soonest. Like, they're more resilient. They're probably more likely to get vaccinated and all these people, when you think about it, there's a whole group of 18, 19-year-olds in Europe who haven't been able to do the gap year that they, that everyone does. So maybe we'll get all of them coming back in a rush, plus everyone turning 18 in, say, 2022. So, yeah, I think difference in the markets, yeah, definitely more resilient, less worried about stuff, very happy to just put a backpack on their back and go off for a year. Whereas maybe older and more high-end markets will be a little bit more hesitant about what they're going to do going forward. So I think it's a good space to be in and I think just as soon as they can get here, it's going to come back really, really strong. So That sounds, sounds promising. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's it. I'm quite, I'm quite positive about stuff, which is, sounds strange. But, yeah, I think, I think we've got a great opportunity coming forth. Some people will exit the industry. There'll be gaps where the people who stick around can fill those and expand their businesses. So, yeah, I'm focused on the opportunities at this point. And do you think there's room for more youth operators in Tasmania or do you think it's going to be an expanding market? Yeah, I think so. Um, it's not just like tours and stuff but also like camper van operators and things like that. I think there's room to expand and especially like, one of the things that's happened over the last few years is the backpacker organisations sort of changing themselves to, you know, adventure sort of language. So backpacker organisation in Queensland is called Adventure Queensland. And that's kind of a acknowledgement that 
that kind of adventure market is the youth market. And so I think Tasmania has a real opportunity in terms of, you know, we don't have any sort of bungee jumping, we don't have skydiving, things like that. That's all to come. And mountain biking's a huge one, obviously, like just opened new tracks at Queenstown. Derby continues to expand, things like that. So all of that stuff not just gets more people to come here but also pushes out how long their stay is. So with another mountain bike hub, I suppose you'd say, at uh, the West Coast, maybe those people who were just coming for three days to go to Derby, all of a sudden better go for a week because we won't get to see everything otherwise. Yeah, I think there's a big opportunity in the adventure and youth space to sort of build on that going forward, both for domestic and international. So if you had a, a bit of money tucked away and you were looking to invest some respect in the, the youth and backpacker market or the adventure market, what, what do you think we're missing here in Tassie? Where would, where would the gap be, if, in your opinion? Definitely in that that more extreme kind of stuff. There's a place over near Mole Creek called Alum Cliffs and every time I've been there, I think they should have a bungee jump down here. This would be amazing. Like it's not a national park. There's not, you know, issues around, you know, land use. And I think that would be a really good sort of positive investment um, to have, I don't know, maybe you roll down a hill in those sword balls or whatever, jump out of a plane, all that kind of stuff. So I think there's that. There's also um, if you can push out the number of things that they can do, then they can go to a I'm going to Tasmania indefinitely kind of thing. Because one of the things that always has frustrated me is that people book their flight in and book their flight out and then they try and fit stuff into the middle of that. And they don't do that if they go to Sydney. They just get a flight to Sydney and then they see how it goes. So it'd be great if there was such a depth of attractions that people just said, I'm going to Tassie, one-way flight, and then see how it goes. So that would be a huge, huge development for us, I think. And even with the New Zealand flights, like maybe we become a jumping off point to New Zealand on that sort of Auckland flight. Maybe. (laughs) We'll see how we go. Crystal ball gazing. Sounds amazing. Yeah. So have you got anything else you want to add to your comments about the adventure market in Tasmania? Yeah, I think it's an interesting contrast between here and other states. Like you go into a hostel in Melbourne and they've got all this iPad check-in and they have, you know, they've got a hostel manager, but then they've got an events manager and they've got a, you know, a bar and stuff like that. And I feel like we need to sort of up our game um, in that respect because a lot of the time it's just like in the bad old days, I suppose, it was, you know, you had a pub and you had some rooms above the pub and they got a bit shabby, so now it's a backpackers. Like... (laughs) So we want to get away from that, get the professional approach better. And I've thought about this too, like, you know, having a destination kind of hostel, you know, the climate's not great for lounging around pools and stuff like that, but maybe it's a destination, you know, in the bush somewhere, you know, and people come and they want to stay for a a longer period of time than just going I'm going to Tasmania on this day and then I'm flying out this day and then I try and fit everything into the middle. So mm, That was a good tip. <laughs> yeah. Opportunity there for somebody, if not yeah, you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
Well, Greg, thank you so much for taking the time to chat today. Really appreciate that and hearing your insights on the adventure market in Tassie and what you think is going to happen. Um, thank you, everybody, for listening. We are going to finish this quick chat with the Big Seven. Um, are you ready for this? Sure. All right. So, Greg, what's your favourite spot in Tasmania and why? I think it's Bathurst Harbour, Melaleuca kind of spot because it's just unbelievable if anyone hasn't been there, get on a flight down there and it's where the South Coast track starts and just glassy water, amazing scenery, just no one to be seen for miles around. Beautiful spot. Uh, And your favourite travel destination in the world? I went to Slovenia and a place called Lake Bled where they have this little church on an island in the middle of a lake and you hire a rowboat and go out to that and that's just like some kind of fairy tale and I thought that was an amazing spot. Fantastic. And so someone coming to Tasmania for the very first time in their life asks you, what's the one thing they absolutely must do while they're here? What do you tell them? I reckon go to the Bay of Fires and take shoes off and walk in the sand and have it squeaking along. It's an amazing experience and you probably have the whole beach to yourself. It's, yeah, you can't beat that white sand and the granite and the lichen, yeah. Awesome. You're walking the overland track for five days. You've got three other people with you. It can be anyone in the world, famous or not, living or dead, doesn't matter. Who would they be and why? Well, I think David Attenborough has to be on there because he would give amazing insights and also, you know, you just want him to narrate your trip on the overland track, I think. Um, and I think I I came up with Steve Irwin as well, I, Obviously not living, but um, that would be amazing because he'd just be super stoked about absolutely everything. No crocodiles to wrestle, but, you know, you can't have everything. Um, yeah, I think maybe just those two. No one else? No, no I think it. we'll go with them, yeah. <laughs> no, fair enough. Um, you're road tripping around Tasmania. Maybe you're in a jump tour bus, who knows. What are you listening to? I'd probably go for the I Don't Feel Like Dancing by Scissor Sisters, which was the start of my presentation because that is like immortalised in my van. It's the I don't feel like dancing silly butter cut a boom or whatever it is on the on the thing. So that one always makes me think of um, good times on a road trip. And when you arrive at your destination, what's your tipple of choice? What's your favourite drink? Uh, I had a really good uh, – I just turned 40 two months ago, so my brother got me a bottle of from the old Kempton Distillery, which is a cask-aged kind of whiskey, and that's just amazing. So I reckon that one for sure. Is there any left in the bottle? Yeah, a little bit. (laughs) We managed to not go too crazy, but, yeah, still going. And the last question, the big debate, curried Tasmanian scallops, is that a culinary delight or a culinary crime? No, I think that's a culinary delight. It's um, pretty amazing, um, especially if you've just caught them yourself and you you get them out of the shell and cook them up. Can't beat it. Very good. Thank you so much for your time today, Greg. We really appreciate that. And this is the end of the uh, Talking Tourism episode for today. Um, so remember to subscribe if you want to hear more episodes as we release them and tell a friend to come and listen to them too. We can always get something out of them. Um, Talking Tourism is an initiative of the Tourism Industry Council Tasmania. I'm Sam Denmead, your host today. I've been talking to Greg Price from Jump Tours and he's been telling us all about the adventure backpacker market in Tasmania. Thanks for listening. And thanks, Greg. Thank you.
You've been listening to Talking Tourism, brought to you by Tourism Industry Council Tasmania. For show notes, other materials and episodes, head to tict.com.au. Be sure to come back every fortnight for a new instalment of Talking Tourism.